hello, this is Guillermo del Toro, and you're listening to Out Now Podcast. Hello. We are now recording. This is Out Now with Aaron and Abe. I am Aaron, and as always, this is... Hey, this is Abraham. Molto bene. Benissimo. Out Now is a film podcast where Abe and I discuss hey. new movies weekly. However, it is October, and we've been doing these special bonus episodes all month themed around the genre of horror. Uh, a lot of really cool stuff we've done so far. We've talked about diversity in horror. We've talked about the Friday the 13th in honor of its 40th anniversary. And we talked about arachnophobia for its 30th anniversary. And now... In honor of Deep Red's 45th anniversary, uh, we're going to be talking about Giallo film this week, as well as uh, Italian horror films. Uh, I know we've been wanting to get into this for a while, at least many on the panel have, and I've done my homework. I know one other of our panelists have done their homework as well, so we're going to get all into... I do my homework all the time, Aaron. I I know you do. You turn it in and everything. But we're going to get all into that this week on the show. We're going to talk about Giallo. Uh, We're going to talk about Italian horror. There's going to be a lot of different thoughts going on here because there's a lot of uh, content within these uh, genres, and I'm excited to get into this. But I can't do this alone. Neither can Abe. And together, we're still pretty okay. So we have three other guests with us to uh, make this work. So uh, joining us to discuss Giallo and Italian horror, I have given you all uh, Giallo titles for this one. Here it comes from Blue and the host of The Brandon Peters Show. From Traces of Dark Red on a Frozen Landscape, it's Brandon Peters. Hey, we got... Five great uh, people talking about this, like the five fingers on every black leather glove. Exactly. Oh, oh my exactly. gosh. Also joining us, <laughs> also joining us from Joe Blow and the host of Vidi Space's Sound Scary from a bloodstained white rose on a crystal balcony. It's Jimmy O. Oh my God! What a strange phenomenon we're in. Ooh. <laughs> and of course, go talk to bugs. Of course. <laughs> Also joining us from Wise Blue and the founder of Flicks for Fans, from Death is a Dark Figure with an Iron Finger Stained in Red, it's Jason Coleman. I'm going to cut you. I have a straight razor all ready for you. Don't move. Don't move. <laughs> I love it. Why is it, why is it always a straight razor? What is it with the straight razor? Yeah, why does no one ever yeah, say, I have a jagged razor waiting for you? Fold it, you fold it open and you're like, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, just for the fun of it, I gave us Giallo names as well. Mine, mine is the or titles. Mine is the Snow Leopard with Eyes of Jade. And, uh, Abe's, is, Abe's is wonderful. It's Black Cat that stands in the center of the ever widening pool of red. Meow. <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna talk about this and uh, the nature of Giallo films and their very baroque and very long <laughs> titles that are involving various animals and colors. Oh, Giallo? I thought you meant gelato. <laughs> Gelato is what they eat when they wrap up filming on some of these. So, gelato, <laughs> gelato, gelato. Yeah, I think that's a refrain on one of any Morricone scores for one of these movies. Um, the that is mine. Yeah, that's good. The idea here is that we're going to talk about Giallo film, uh, specifically along with Italian horror. But because Giallo is a specific, it's fun to say it. That's why I keep repeating it. By the way, because yeah, it's a pretty specific genre, uh, not unlike something like film noir, for example, where there's kind of qualifiers and what have you and things that kind of put it into the realm of not just being a mystery, not just being a horror film, but being its own thing, in this case, Giallo. So before we kind of get into 
what we're eventually going to do, which is each of us having laid out a number of uh, picks that we want to make note of, I wanted to kind of get into what what giallo is, what what the genre is, what the subgenre is, what it consists of. Not specifically going over titles, although I'm sure some might come up inevitably just because of the nature of the conversation, but just to give listeners an idea uh, what that is for those that are less aware compared to you know others that are you know, steeped in the realm of Argento and what have you. Uh, so. As I get into this, I get, let me let me start with let me Brandon let me start with you because I know you've been championing doing an episode like this for thank you for raising your hand for championing this for doing a while. Uh, what when we say giallo, like what is what is what does that concept mean? Well, first giallo means yellow, mm-hmm. and what the yellow in that is referring to is the there's books these murder mystery books from back in the day and they all had yellow covers to them like sort pulp of like, novels. Yeah, pulp novels, and so that's kind of where it came from because of the usage of these murder mystery type things. And some of them were based off of books that they came to, but it really starts uh, Mario Bava starts kind of like the girl who knew too much evil. Eye is kind of the sort of proto giallo film. It's a black and white one from him. It's got John Saxon, the late John Saxon in it, but it's a bit of a murder mystery with a girl with a foggy bit of memory. Uh, it really takes shape in blood and black lace which is a really colorful film. It's got the killer with the gloves and the trench coat. And uh, so that's kind of, and it kind of at that point feels like those big 60s epic films. And then you get to Dario Argento, who his mentor was Mario Bava and also Sergio Leone. He comes out with his debut film, The Birth of Crystal Plumage. And all of a sudden you've got like a a Coppola 1970s thing going because he just takes it to the streets kind of, more raw thing and his uh debut is the bird with the crystal plumage and that one goes big and that's when they start booming in the 70s and they start reusing a lot of themes tropes you see the killer look with the black gloves you'll see a lot of movies with just seeing the gloves and holding a knife or opening a package doing weird things the trench coats um the title bird with the crystal plumage cat o nine tails and then they start using those like you were mentioning at the beginning uh, they got a lot of murder. They got a lot of weird roundabout ways to tell you the killer's motives, which are in some of the most fun ways, really bonkers and bizarre. Uh, and a lot of them will exploit sex or the gore. Some of them get really mean. Some of them are tasteful. Uh, but it is not every Italian horror movie. That's like Suspiria, a later Argento film, is a witch film. It's not Giallo. Oh. Um, it does have, you know, there can be giallo elements in these things where they, the way they film a stabbing typically will go back to that. But there's a lot of movies that, I mean, they're not giallo. They're just horror movies that are made by Italians, uh, or Italian productions. It doesn't mean they're giallo, which a lot of the times it's the lazy thing to do, like a calling everything torture porn, um, would later be, but there's zombie movies. They're not giallo. (laughs) <laughs> they're zombie movies but a lot of that term gets tossed on them a lot yeah so we'll, and we'll get back to we'll get back to that as we talk more about italian horror specifically too but yeah i mean there is a to back up a bit with giallo i mean it's generally murder mysteries like that's mm-hmm. what the plots are they don't tend to have supernatural elements it's not it's not never a factor there are some that roll that in within the genre just based off how it's structured but for the most part it's 
it's it's like a very fancy murder mystery you have but it's interesting how they how the, how like for, for myself you know sort of just jumping into it that uh the early stuff actually doesn't have as much boobs yeah. and blood as yeah. you as i would have thought so it's interesting how in that period in the 60s it's you watch it kind of evolve and then when dario puts his in in 1970 with with uh, crystal plumage how then it, it takes another whole realm and then everybody tries to sort of outdo each other but it was interesting watching the early stuff because you go oh, mario bobo and you think you think very specific you know a harsh visual you know kills and stuff like that mm-hmm. but looking back at his early stuff it was it was it was very tame by comparison but it's still mm-hmm. interesting and still with the uh, with the the thriller mystery angle mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. To, to speak absolutely a, to speak a bit more to the like the structure of these films uh, i mean there's there are familiar i mean for the most but there are familiar elements to giallo films i mean we've talked about it being a mystery there's generally a protagonist that's kind of an outsider he gets kind of drawn in um, as uh, someone that's unconnected to whatever murders are taking place. The killer is usually a mystery, right? It's generally going to be somebody in the plot. Maybe you can guess it. Maybe it's too ridiculous for you to think that it'll be that person to begin with, but regardless, there's a kind of disguise thing going on, which, I mean, we've talked about this before with slasher films. There's a lot of proto-slasher elements here that establish where that genre is going to go as far mm-hmm. as the murdering that takes place, the nature of it. The uh, the vulnerability of the victims vulnerability plays a huge role in giallo films. I'd say as far as when people are murdered, it does tend to be uh, in a in a way a, a state of self defense. It's always you know when they're in a bathtub or getting ready for to sleep or things that are just like not positioning them well. And generally, there's a lot of female victims, and you can you you can see misogyny in, in some of these films depending on the kind of tone what? the tone of the picture. Yeah, uh, <laughs> for sure. Brandon, you talked about the plotting. Yes, they tend to be ridiculous plots. That, that they're like good three quarters of the way through, and when they get to that final act, sometimes they just don't have the time, don't know what to do, or have to pick somebody at that point to be the killer and have a ridiculous backstory as to why. But I would put up against the misogyny angle, which definitely is there, you know, when I saw it and kind of watched all these films. But I would also put up that I think it was progressive in the sense of putting women in the role of the killer sometimes. So, you know, you know, uh, you know, making them, you know, not just the man who is the misogynistic, you know, killer who's, who's, you know, a sex fiend or whatever. But there was some great female roles where females were the ended up being the killer in the end of the movie. So I I would say that, you know, that, that at least that some of that's there as well. Right. And on, on my podcast recently, we I had Bird with the Crystal Plumage as an episode of my guest, Molly Henry. Uh, she suggested that she doesn't think a lot of things that we as Americans are looking at as misogyny is indeed the way they're intended or how they are interpreted overseas in uh, European countries. A lot of sexual things aren't necessarily as we see them they have a more elegant way of presenting things and there's there's scenes where it looks a certain way but it's not it might not be as misogynistic as we might take it no some of them yes sure some for sure but also yes there is a kind of hindsight that you people look at these through a lens through and Mm -hmm. have implications that you know the filmmakers whether it was subtextually not or subconsciously not a part of what they're doing or just they frankly just were deliberately trying not to do it based off the reveals that we have yeah there's it can go certain directions again that also depends on the tone of the film to begin with because like you said there are ones that are more mean-spirited uh, than other films 
but that does, that does speak to the visual style of uh, of Giallo as well. There's a lot of, I mean, strong cinematography is a huge factor. Uh, when it comes to these movies, you, you have a lot of vivid colors, as you see in most Italian films in general. Uh, right. There's also, there could be a surrealistic element at times, depending on the state of mind of the characters. And uh, you get a lot of close-ups when it comes to Giallo. You get a lot of, like, jarring yeah. close-ups to either make you uncomfortable or to just, you know, provide emphasis in certain scenes. Especially, like, eyes and body parts. Uh, you know, you, uh, you get a lot uh, eyes in particular. You get a lot of that just to get a, give you, I guess, a window <laughs> like into, like, what's... What's intended either for, from the victim's point of view or the killer's point of view, and there's a lot of POV in these films as well. Mm-hmm. There, there can be, not all of them, but there can be just now, to I'm heighten not, the mystery. Now, I'm not, I'm not like super well versed in any of these things, so I'm I'm definitely just listening in. But I have a question about like the way that these movies are written. Is it are they all kind of like pulpy written, or is it do they change in tone, or like is it always like hey fast uh, fast dialogue and and whole bunch of other stuff? Like, is there any comment on that? Depends on the filmmaker, honestly. Okay. So like, it, yeah. it really just it, some it care about different some care about different elements, and it becomes more apparent. Sometimes they come up with a movie, or they they're more focused on getting the suspense scenes, or or like a gory kill. Our top guy all around here, he's very focused on making a great film in every aspect, um, start to finish, rather than ooh, this sounds like a really cool kill. Let's make a movie around these like five kills or something like that. But um, it depends on the filmmaker too. Yeah. It definitely felt to me watching them um, that the farther I went back, the better the scripts got, because I think yeah. there wasn't as much blood. There wasn't as much boobs. There wasn't as much, all that kind of stuff, you know, all the, the accoutrement. So uh, as that came and, and was needed to be expanded and needed to be, you know, uh, you know, they needed to outdo each other. Then I think the scripts maybe became a little less, but if you look at some of the earlier ones, there's some really good scripts uh, in, in there um, that definitely mm-hmm. keeps you guessing. So. And and Bava, he's a guy. He's kind of like the Kubrick uh, of all this of Italy because he's a cinematographer first, and a lot of his films are just hit mute and just watch them almost. Hey, tell me about it, eh? What's that? What happened? I want to know everything you saw and heard. Everything. Monica, come on, come along. Take go of me, Annabella Ranieri. She's my wife. Excuse me, Monica. Speak to me. What happened? He's so tiring her, Monica. Oh dear. Who did it? Who? Okay, so we talked a lot about like the visual style. We talked about the kind of the structure of these films. I mean, thematically, um, you get into a lot of areas as well as far as alienation, um, paranoia uh, factors in a lot, madness on the part of whoever is, you know, involved in these in the, in the killings or what have you. And then you and on the other side you have the protagonists that are, as I said, they're outsiders generally. You all, they tend to be skeptics. They tend to be not believing in certain aspects of what's going on, whether there's some kind of conspiracy or who can be involved or what have you. Uh, so it's mm-hmm. it all adds to like the kind of the mystery aspect of these films. Um, and yeah, I, I mean, I want to get us to like actually talk about the movies more, so I guess we can kind of kind of move more into it. But I guess before we get kind of get into the the films themselves, I guess we should talk about like how do we how do we relate to the genre? How do we come into this genre? Like what, what, what gets, what, what is the interest there for us as people that are fans of horror? And let me start with Jimmy, Jimmy, where, where are you with Giallo? Like where, what, what's like you're, you're in when it comes to the genre? I guess for me, you know, I grew up with 80s slasher movies. So, you know, I, I kind of snuck in every so often I would rent, uh, I think like a blade in the dark, um, 
trying to think ones that really stuck out to me. And uh, yeah, I don't want to go on the ones I'm going to mention, but like um, Bird and Crystal Plumage. I, as a kid, mind you, I thought they were fucking stupid because I was just watching it and I'm like, oh yeah, it's pretty to look at, blah blah blah. But the 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 language and the the dubbing and all that stuff, you know, a, a lot of the the love versions I would see were these terrible dub versions and it, it didn't appeal to me as a, you know, as a younger viewer, I didn't start appreciating these films until I started to understand movies more and understand the, uh, the effect on these filmmakers and the effect on these stories and how they kind of pertain to, you know, like we were talking about misogyny, we're in a very different world here in the States and in America where, you know, Italy, all these other countries, they're a little more open to sexuality, uh, violence and all that stuff. We're a little bit, you know, we're a little prudish, let's be honest. Um, So I think they've grown on me a lot. Uh, I, I still, there's so many, I don't, you know, I know a lot, but I, Brandon is the king of these, and uh, I've uh, definitely gotten his uh, take on a couple that I've been interested in. And um, I mean, I'm I, again, I'm not. It's not my choice genre when it comes to horror. It's never my choice, but there are a few that I absolutely love. So I, I you know, yeah, they've really started to. Uh, there's a few that I love now. There's a, there's quite a few that I love, but it's. Um, it's one I think it, it takes a while. You have to really take into appreciation. I remember not necessarily, like you said, not necessarily a giallo film. But I remember recommending someone to see Suspiria. And they were like, what the fuck? They hated it. They absolutely hated the movie. And I'm like, okay, well, at least I know not to recommend that to certain people. Because, you know, so, some people, they're used to very standard American features they're not going to get it. A lot of these. Well, fair enough. Um, I'll get back to Brandon because I know you've plenty (laughs) you've done already in this, but I want to go to Jason because I know you and I, Mm. we, uh, we, we've been cramming, uh, for this podcast where, where, where are you? I mean, and I appreciate it guys. You're, you're a horror (laughs) fan, but this is is somewhat of a blind spot for you. Why why is that the case? Yeah. And I I definitely will be honest about that. Like I said, I, I followed a lot of these guys sort of when they went past yellow. So, um, you know, Dario and, and Fulci and all that stuff. But I hadn't really seen these movies. So one of the first things I saw was a documentary um, that you can actually watch on Amazon Prime called All the Colors of Giallo. Um, and it's 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 an amazing array of not only showing, you know, trailers from various films, but, you know, talking to the directors, talking to Fulci, talking to Argento. And uh, it's really interesting to see the wave between 1960 and going past 1970, just the differences in Giallo and and who had, you know, kind of a, an inspirational effect on things. Um, mm-hmm. It was interesting that, that uh, some of the facts were like the bird with the crystal plumage. It wasn't well received initially. Um, uh, there seems to be some kind of animosity between Fulci and Argento, which I thought was interesting. And uh, and one of the leading ladies, Fulci's leading ladies, called him nutty and a bit grouchy. So <laughs> it's, uh, it was very interesting not only to see what films they highlighted, but then also going into other films 
Um, so for me, you know, I, one of the things that was, was, was great about it was learning about all the tropes, learning how the tropes change, you know, not necessarily changed, but got added on to, cause in the, in the, in the sixties, there was very specific tropes for Giallo. And then all of a sudden Argento came with his and added some more to it. And then that, that kind of became canon. So it was interesting to sort of see the dynamic between those two and just sort of how it, how it, um, uh, how it evolved. Um, so yeah, it was interesting to see where where some of those th- and then seeing the things that Jimmy had suggested. You know, where I saw things from Friday the Thirteenth uh, and the, the various Friday the Thirteenth films that were totally taken out of those movies. I saw mo- I saw moments from um, uh, De Palma films, which I'm a huge De Palma disciple. I saw moments that were definitely taken out of these movies, and I don't mean like just inspired. I mean shot. <laughs> Because I went and checked and I went, oh, let me go check the date on the the, the Palma film. And it was after. And I went, well, he actually stole that shot. So good back then. Not to Palma. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) He sold from everywhere. I was inspired. So I was like, wow. What specific shot? Which one is it? It's it's there's one from. uh, Oh, from Tenenbaugh. Uh, where somebody is, sand, is 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 crouched and then they come back up and they crouch down again. The person's behind them and they crouch back up and then they're gone. And I'm like, that is the exact last shot from Raising Cain. I mean, it's, it's <laughs> exact shot. So I was like, wow, he. I guess these movies are very inspirational. So it was interesting to see where a lot of mm-hmm. these people drew their uh, their inspirations from. So that's that's kind of how how I found it exciting. I, I was catching up on a lot of uh, horror films I just hadn't seen during college, and my roommate and I remented uh, Suspiria. And what struck me the most was the soundtrack right away, because I was already a huge Dawn of the Dead fan. So you got Goblin in there, and it's <laughs> like it. What I enjoy, like I enjoyed, I enjoyed Suspiria very much, so because of just the style, like it was just so in your face and very evocative, and. It, it, it was it felt like a, it was like a mood piece honestly like more than i was experiencing more that way than as a horror film specifically and from there i you know i the limited knowledge i had i was thinking well okay i, I enjoyed what this was and so i saw phenomena eventually and i, I just never really I, I saw zombie because i like zombie movies a lot so i saw zombie full cheese but that's not giallo but as far as like italian horror films go it just but it never like grasped onto me to be like i need to rent all of these for whatever reason that said i had seen i'd seen so much of like other movies that had like you're saying jason that had just like either riffed off of or just felt influenced by very clearly especially as you're getting into the kind of the 2000s when the splat pack stuff starts happening and it just feels looking at that now and looking at like the films that these guys have clearly watched it's easy to see like what they've grown up with and what they've come out of and you can say the same for a lot of american films i know jimmy you have some things you want to mention later on but films that feel very clearly influenced by much like french new wave in the 60s and like early 70s the same thing's happening when it comes to these italian movies and these italian horror booms as Mm -hmm. far as how or giallo when it comes to like mysteries and what have you uh so it's so now it's like yeah i've slowly been seeing like more of these over the years but given you know something like this i had a a real excuse to just pack in a ton of these movies and so i've seen a lot of them and like i i appreciate them as far as the kind of stories they're telling but it's same just like you know the first exposure it's that that mood like i'm not watching you know one random giallo film so i can take in like the elaborate plotting it's more of there's just a level of comfort I seem to get from how it's choosing to like frame this story and the music that goes through it uh, and just like all the kind of 
components that make up the film itself, which I find to be really, you know, really intriguing. I mean, there's some stuff that's somewhat jarring or quite violent. There's one film in particular mm-hmm. that's really <laughs> pretty disgusting when you think of the implications that are taking place, despite of how little you're actually seeing on screen. But it's all there, and it's certainly like they're like Jimmy. We talked about this last year with like Midsommar, where Mm-hmm. The, the horror is there, but I was just experiencing that more as the atmosphere. Like I was just so enamored by the cinematography and the music mm-hmm. and the choices made on, from a directorial standpoint over, you know, a plotting one. Uh, but Brandon, how about you? You're obviously, I mean, we've said this, you're the most well-versed in the genre. Where, where are you coming at it from as far as your kind of origins in here? Well, my or- like I was recommended, I, I used to in like AOL chat rooms, I talked with this guy who was like a screenwriter when I was in like middle or high school. I can't remember, I, probably like early high school. Dario Craven 66? Yeah, yeah. No, he actually, <laughs> it, it, it crazy, I, I, weird side note, like I talked to this guy and I think his last name was Prince or something like that. And my freshman you year- You talked to co- Prince? Last Wait, you name. talked to Prince? Yes. Anyways, so like I'm in my freshman year of history class at college. Were you hanging out at the this... lake, Milotaka? Yes. All right. Anyways, we'll go back to Jello. <laughs> anyway, so he recommends <laughs> me Suspiria, and I I had to go like special order it. Nobody had it at the rental stores where I lived or whatever, and I thought it was pretty cool. I, I enjoyed it. And then every time I check out other like Italian things, they were always like in the VHS era. They one looked like crap, and two were compromised edits of the films. A lot of yeah. these did not see until till the mid 2000s did not see their appropriate cuts available in America, and so I kind of shelved them for then. And then when I was in Los Angeles and I worked in uh, Blu-ray and DVD quality control two of our clients were anchor Bay and blue underground. And at the time of DVD, those were the ones they were putting them all out. And I had yeah. to like sit and watch them for work. So I, and, and seeing them and their appropriate framing appropriate cuts, I was starting to get, enjoy them a bit more that in the Polticetti uh, genre, which is like harsh cop dramas. Yeah, that they yeah. have. And I was, I was, you know, when you're sitting there, you have to, they were, I was starting to get into them. I was starting to see more. And then when they started coming on Blu-ray and they really restored these damn things, they look gorgeous. Yeah. It's that that... Crap that d- hasn't shown up until the last decade. We haven't been able to see how good these were technically. And now, and some of them were shoddy productions, but they still had talent. And for the dubbing thing, once I learned that they didn't shoot these with sound. So if you're watching it English, you're fine. If you're watching it in Italian, you're the same deal. It's not the audio on the set. And a lot of them were trying to mock like they were saying English words anyways to sell to the American audiences. So no, if you're watching it English, you're not cheating the original language. It's just that's what it was. They didn't shoot with sound. And I think in a lot of these that English dubbing and the adds a little weirdness and unsettlingness to some yeah. of them that uh-huh. are that's there. That adds a little mystery. But I've I've grown to like love these. I have favorite filmmakers of all time through this, uh, through them, and I collect them like crazy. Uh, like I have a Fulci section in my <laughs> thing. Got my Fulci lives bumper sticker by it, and uh, I have a Fulci pin stuff like that. So. It's just something you get into, and once you're in, you're in. I mean, there's even a funny parody movie from a couple of years ago that Shout Factory put out. I can't remember. It's the people who did um, Mandroid. Um, they they made a um, 
a Jallo parody movie, which covers a lot of ground. It's hilarious. If you now that you guys have seen so much, I'll have to figure out what that one was. But yeah, I I'm I'm all down with these. It's a fun little thing to go through and definitely a side of cinema that I don't think a lot of people see, but it also is niche specific to check out. Especially if, if you if you've got modern sensibilities and you're hardwired into that, some of these are going to be tough to take. And I still this day, I don't like the cannibal movies. I really don't. I think there there's a lot of like I, t- I was telling you, Aaron, the other day, there's like a lot of celebration of like sexual abuse in those. But yeah, I'm not afraid of people eating people. That's whatever. But there's a lot of hmm, like if you want to if you want to see like Eli Ross Green Inferno. That's a nice tame cannibal film. He took out the gross stuff from the other ones. Yeah, yeah. Hey, Brandon, I want to add something really quickly to what you just said, is that keep in mind, uh, when I was growing up, I was seeing the video copies, those ones you're talking about, the shitty edits, all that stuff. That was uh, terrible. The sound was terrible. Uh Everything's fucking terrible. So, um, yeah, it's it's amazing, like, when these DVD companies started saying, yeah, let's take this seriously and let's actually make these, show the quality, because there's really a lot of quality in these movies that you're not going to see on these bad fucking edits and those. That's what I grew up on. I hated that. That's why I didn't like it until I was older. People like Tarantino spearheaded efforts to get these appropriate cuts out there as well in the late mid to late 90s. Like Rolling yeah. Thunder, Rolling Thunder Pictures helped that. Grindhouse Pictures, which was uh, Sage Stallone's company, helped get some of these out there, and do screenings and and home video releases. Blue, you know, like I mentioned, Anchor Bay and Blue Underground, um, very much getting those appropriate cuts out there. I, something I wanted to go back to that you mentioned, as far as the kind of niche nature of the genre, it, it is. It, I find that interesting, just because like yeah, there's a certain style and their quote-unquote foreign films i guess even though they're you know dubbed in english let alone have english actors often in them and they're shot shot, yeah exactly especially with argento films which does give it this kind of weird edge sometimes but i find that neat just because there's as we've mentioned these aren't like they could be graphic but it's not unlike something like you know films we've talked about before that kind of tread the line of being horror versus something just like you know whatever they want to justify it as a thriller or whatnot something like silence of the lambs or seven or what have you like this, they fall right in line with each other in a lot of ways as far as what which are films that our audiences are going to go and see and yet you know because it's what old and it's and faux Italian it, it makes right. it like a harder thing to like dig into I did, I find that to be interesting mm-hmm. I mean again there's other American films that we'll talk about more as we get into this that are very much inspired by if not directly connected to the the, the very same genre during the very very same time frame. But with that, let's do it. Let's get into kind of the picks that we've had. We've all chosen a good five films, uh, probably some crossover here that represent just some some highlights of the genre ones we wanted to point out in particular. And with that, I'll, no, let me let me start with Jason because I know you've been you know digging in deep. What, what's the, what's the first film on your list here? Well, I mean, I, it would be stereotypical, but I am going to pick The Bird with the Crystal Plumage just because of all of the films that I watched. It was definitely my favorite. And I could see why in 1970 it kind of um, added more uh, more tropes to the genre. It, it's incredibly well shot. Uh, it's beautiful. It, it reminded me of the visual style that um, uh, that De Palma did, you know, especially in the scenes with the with the museum, with the glass and everything. I mean, just really incredibly well shot. Um, great use of colors and sets. Um 
definitely started that trope of the of the with the with the uh, there's the straight razor and everything um and even had you know added a bit of comic relief there was a there was a, a pimp and an artist who who were kind of wacky and added a little bit of comic relief to it it just mm. it had a really interesting and just it, dario's color palette is so 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 well done in that movie mm. i don't know if i watched a remastered version of it or something but it just it visually it blew all the other movies i had watched out of the water um and uh and of course i didn't see the end coming um you know the, the the surprises and who the killer was and all that stuff and it just it it i wasn't surprised when i watched that documentary um that it had changed the genre starting in 1970 um because of its 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 work i, I would say if you're going to watch one yellow film I would watch that one. It's it's it holds up. It's really well done, and uh, yeah, I I thoroughly enjoy it. It's a it's a it's a five star for me, man. I love it's it. one of the, it's one of the best debut films ever from a director yeah. too. Yeah, and again, I, I was surprised that initially when it first came out, you know, overseas, that uh, it didn't do well. It didn't. Uh, a lot of people were not were not uh, responding to it well, but they just stuck to their guns, and and I, I'm shocked though because it it it's upon first viewing, it just it bowled me right over. It's very tight. Like it's it's like ninety ish minutes. It's not long, and it's very. It's I find it very accessible. Like it was. It's just. It presents a very clean narrative. The plotting doesn't, I think, tie itself into knots in the way that other giallo uh, films can. Like there's certainly like intrigue and mystery, and it's Mr. X, um, but I don't think it overcomplicates itself. And I think that speaks well to you know Argento's mm-hmm. abilities as a as a as a writer and director. Um, and I, I watched the uh, the Arrow Blu-ray release, which is very clean. So, it's I mean, fantastic, it's a, yeah. 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 It, it, does, it is a terrific-looking film. Yeah, it starts his tropes of, like, perspectives. Like, yeah. mm-hmm. it's a big yeah. thing with him. And then also, yeah. like, um, something that could turn a switch on in a human. Like, that's one thing he's, like, definitely, like, in, in Plumage is one thing, in other films, like, something that just clicks in someone to commit murder. That's one thing he seems to look at, like, a, a slight thing. And there's that with that film, I was thinking a lot about perspective and like what mm-hmm. someone's interpreting. And it reminded me, yeah. or it reminded me of a few things. It reminded me of first uh, the conversation for reasons I don't want to get into because I don't want to spoil anything. But, I was, yeah. but I'm thinking, I mean, that movie's 74. I don't necessarily think Coppola looked to Birth of Crystal Plumage as an inspiration, but it's like I could, there's, there's some, you know, there's some connective tissue there as far as what one character believes they're seeing versus what's actually happening. And then mm-hmm. I was thinking, well, let me take that back then. Go to, like, Michael Antonioni and think of uh, Blow Up, um, mm-hmm. and, yeah. which very much has the same kind of elements and seems a bit more in the same league as far as the kind of filmmakers they are. Which And dressed and dressed to kill, for sure. I was going to say, that like, takes when back When I watched to... the movie, I was like, wow, there's some there's some stuff here from Dressed to Kill. And I realized, yeah, this movie was made before Dressed to Kill. That, so that there's, takes, that there's takes some a very liberal taking of stuff from this movie. And I, no doubt, it's a, re, it's a fantastic film. So I, I'm not surprised. And it's one of the it's one of the Jello movies that wraps up cleanly too. Like yeah. it's not a it's not a convoluted mess to finish out. It's relatively lean. Mm-hmm. Jimmy, Jimmy, let's go to and just to be clear, we're talking a lot about Jello films. So I mean, the idea was to talk about Jello and Italian horror films in general as well. So we're gonna kind of have a mix here. But I just wanted to give us a good mm-hmm. overview of a very specific genre because that's what that is. And again, Italian horror films, there's a lot of them. There's not much complicated mm-hmm. about the nature of them. They're just horror films that are made by Italians. So, mm-hmm. uh, Jimmy, let's go to you now. What's your first pick here? You know, this is a really weird title for me because I love the film and I don't know why. It's actually really trashy, a bit misogynistic, and I don't believe we've had an uncut version. But it 
fascinates me. I love the New York Ripper. Oh, it's okay. Lucio Fulci. It's it's one of the most bizarre. It's really disturbing. Mm-hmm. You have a killer that talks like Donald Duck. <laughs> I mean, he literally is like, quack, 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 I'm gonna kill you. I'm gonna cut your love. But it, it's not. It's it's almost offensive. But I think I find it to be one of the most intriguing. And I like the fact that they're doing a New York movie, and it, it, it yet it feel it has all the elements of Giallo, and it's just this twisted and i kind of like that you feel kind of dirty after watching and i i, I like that whole barroom scene with the toe Ugh. right yes i mean there's a lot of severed limbs there's a lot it, 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 it it's almost grotesque it's almost grotesque but it's it's one that i i've always appreciated i've always and i still want to see the uncut version i don't think we have that right i with the blu-ray <laughs> Oh, the 4K think, came out on 4K recently. I think that's as uncut as we it? get. Yeah. Probably. Maybe. Yeah. I'm, I'm thinking. I think I have the uh, 2011. What year is the New York Ripper? It's the 80s. Uh, 19, it's 82. So okay, so it's after some of his other notable works. So he's getting. He had in a there. couple of years in a row where he had two films. Yeah. In a year. Yeah. 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 But that that's a that's a movie that I. Uh, I appreciate it. It's got that ugly, gross New York, too. That's the. Yeah, yeah. Everything's ugly about it. But weirdly enough, it kind of makes it beautiful. Even the poster is kind of. Like basket cases hanging out down the street from it. Yeah. (laughs) Yes, yes. It it feels like it could exist in all these other horror movies. And and then you have this. The killer that talks like a duck. That just. That was cool. (laughs) Love that. Abe, he talks like a duck. Are you still with us, Abe? He talks like a duck. I love it. Did you either, Brendan or uh, Jason? Have you guys either either of you seen New York Ripper? Did you get a chance to watch it? No, I've, no, I've never seen it. But now it's on my list. <laughs> trash. I enjoy. I enjoy trash. Trashy yes, you'll enjoy it. It's fun. Nice. Well, not fun, but you know what I mean. <laughs> you'll have to take a shower afterwards, but you know. <laughs> That's my pick. <laughs> I'll uh, go next here, and then I'll let Brandon get into his. But uh, the first one on my list. This is one that I really enjoyed because of how just bizarre it was it's called black belly of the tarantula um, uh, yes i was intrigued by it because it had tarantula in the title but that didn't stop <laughs> me from enjoying it anyway because it's the nature of this movie it's this it's the similar kind of thing there's a killer on the loose he's he's killing i think models or just like women involved in things that are close to whatever he, their intentions are but the way he's doing it is terrible he's taking a needle putting into the back of someone's neck to paralyze them not put them unconscious, but to paralyze them, and then like a like a tarantula, like delves into their ins like he cuts them open and delves into their insides from there. Now you don't see any of this. It's a 1971 movie. It's not a Fulci film, but it's just like it's so like they're feeling all of this. That's the implication. They're supposed to be like conscious enough to like know that there's pain happening to them. It's like this is terrible. Mm-hmm. The thought the thought that Glenn goes into what's a crazy movie I can think of and someone came up with this is just insane. And yet it's a really well-made movie. <laughs> like the plotting's it's not too mm-hmm. elaborate. It doesn't like throw me into too many loops here. The there's enough going on with the various characters to keep me like involved the whole way through without even beyond just the kind of terrible murders happening. And it mm-hmm. just it, it has a good enough pace to it. I was uh, I was in uh, for what the black belly of the tarantula had to offer, which included an example of of like a hornet going after a tarantula at one point in the movie. It just had a lot. It had, it had a lot. 
So you learn science from these movies. That's what I like. About oh, yeah, it was them. it was it was my favorite uh, biological um, <laughs> giallo that I watched in all of this. That's funny, Brandon. What, what's what's your first one? Okay, so when I made my my five list, I believe like when you start at the start of the giallo, there's like five filmmakers to pay attention to here, and of course there's Mario Baba, Dario Argento, Lucio Fulci, but I also there's Sergio Martino, who I think. While the the big table, the important tables, the first three I mentioned, he makes arguments to sit there with them at, in a lot of places. And I'll, I'll start with him. And the fifth I have is Umberto Lenzi. We'll get into him later. But um, for, I have All the Colors of the Dark, which all the colors of the Jallo and all that get named after. But this is uh, probably – he did Torso as well. That's a very popular yeah. one. He did Your Vice is a Locked Room and Only I Have the Key, which is one of the most – ridiculous titles to change that's a wonderful title title. (laughs) which is really just another the black cat these guys love the black cat there's a ton of italian poe black cat movies and that's one of them but all the colors of the dark i like a lot i think it's his best craft wise um visually and everything else it's got edward fennec or edward fennec or fennec She's an actress. She'll appear in a lot of these, but she does most of her work with Martino. She appeared in, I think, Hostel 2. But she's just, you know, Italian beauty or whatever. But this one has kind of a a Rosemary's Baby-ish vibe to it, where she's this woman who's recovering from a car accident. She lost a child in it. Got weird stuff going with her husband, neighbors, a doctor. Someone's following her. And it's kind of bonkers, too, but it's got a lot of filmmaking that feels like Khodorovsky and Ken Russell hmm. uh, in there uh, and hmm. with it, but it's got the Giallo stuff, people stalking, some crazy witch uh, cult stuff going on. So it sounds all over the place, but it works and it's always intriguing. You've got twists and turns, characters that you, you kind of you trust, you don't, you try, and it's a fun journey throughout. And you're really worried about her and what's going on because. If you've seen Rosemary's Baby, you kind of feel like something like that's going on. It was an obvious, obviously an inspiration there, but the way it's told is so interesting. But I think this is his best directed movie. People might prefer Torso, which is kind of More a straightforward, popular. It's straightforward slasher. But I think All the Colors of the Dark is pretty special, and I think it's his best all-around craft movie uh, that he made. But yeah, he's a, he's one to look out for. That he's right on the cusp of the other three. I believe that one's on Shutter too. I just actually just watched that one. It was um, yeah. it was uh last year uh Black Friday. It was Severn Films, one of their I how was it year last year or the year before it was one of their uh Black Friday release titles. Mhm. Yeah, it's really worth checking out. It's a very interesting film. Mhm. Jason, what's the next one you have? Yeah. Um. Well, I would go to the uh the 1964 Mario Bava film, uh, Blood and Black Lace, which of course was the one that came out after The Girl Who Knew Too Much. Yeah. I think watching those two movies actually back to back, it was interesting because to see kind of the jump that was made. But Blood and Black Lace obviously, you know, is in color as opposed to the pre- previous one, which was in black and white. But but he really really enjoys the color. So you've got almost a James Bond-esque kind of opening, yeah. a colorful opening in the film, which is just, I mean, it's very striking. Uh, the killer is wearing almost a Rorschach, you know, from yeah. Watchmen kind of mask. Yeah. Um, that's, that's again, very striking. Big colors, uh, v- big strong use of shadows, uh, a big band score with a lot of horns. Um, even the phones are like, you know, bright red. 
Um, and the story itself, really great, you know, really engrossing, you know, um, uh, happens around a fashion industry thing, but also there ends up like it's not just a, a single um, kind of very simple ending. The ending is very uh, multifaceted, so to speak. I don't want to give it away. But yeah, I found I found it very striking that he would do The Girl Who Knew Too Much, which I found fascinating. But again, black and white um, use of, of of shadows more than any blood or murder and stuff like that. And I just thought, wow, he, you know, putting it in color, he really went for it. And he really, you know, uh, you know, created a palette that was just utter, utterly striking. So I would say um, watching those two back to back is great. But Blood and Black Lace is just it's a great one. I really enjoyed that. One. You see the like the way things split up there as far as influences go, where you're like right on the, the cusp of things because you have the girl who knew too much obviously a reference to the man who knew too much which are hitchcock and then you're mm -hmm. moving like you mentioned to like this mm -hmm. kind of big open expressive james bond like opening for an next film right. it's like there's <laughs> there's so much like talent and like evolution of style like right there on the table that like i you, you don't see that now <laughs> like it's right. not, this doesn't need to be that podcast where we talk about the old days but i mean it's just like there's so much opportunity and innovation that's coming at people that during this time when, yeah, you can mix with like the formats because we're still adjusting to having more color movies present, let alone having more content being allowed to like display as far as violence and what have you go. So there's, and so you're like with a with filmmakers that are very much dabbling in these giant pools of like, what if we did this? And it's like, it's exciting. It's exciting to see like that evolution of a filmmaker. Um, and Baba does make a, a James Bond movie himself in Danger Diabolic. Yeah, very much so. Or, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, Jimmy, what's the uh, what's the next film for you? Well, I wanted to go to uh, Dario because uh, I remember seeing this uh, as what, what was it? What, crawlers or Creepers? I forget. I forget creepers. the Creepers. Creepers. And I was so fucking pissed off. I'm like, this is stupid. This is dumb. And then I actually saw Phenomenon, the real movie <laughs> with Jennifer Connelly. <laughs> With, uh, Daria, Daria Nicolodi, uh, Donald Pleasant. Some of you have heard of him. Big Don. Uh, I, I freaking love this movie. This is a really one of the best. I, I think. And it, while this kind of breaks the rule, it, it's a little supernatural kind of. Like obviously, she has. You know, it's a girl who can control bugs and all the shits going on. But like. This is one of those movies that I, I kind of always compare it to Suspiria because you have I feel like there's a similar kind of a tone with it. I don't know why, but like, I don't know. I love Jennifer Conley in this. I've actually talked to Jennifer Conley about this movie. I had to interview her and I'm like, I, I was like, I'm not going to interview her and not bring the screw uh, Labyrinth. I wanted to talk about this movie. And uh, it's, 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 I just, cause I've always been fascinated like with, uh, you know, the idea of bugs and the connection with that. It just, it was really cool. It's a really fascinating film. The killer is really terrifying. The, that mm -hmm. whole final sequence yeah. with the kid, you know, I, that's a, it's a legitimate, this is a legitimately scary film. It's a legitimately disturbing film and it's, uh, it is bloody, but it's, there's something about it that I, I, I love this movie. I love Jennifer Conley's performance. I loved, uh, Daria Decolo. Dec I can't pronounce her name. You know who I'm talking about. I, I love the cast. I love the gr whole girls school, the creepy nature of this little, mm -hmm. and I don't want to give anything away for people that haven't seen it, but I, yeah, the killer in this one is just creepy as fuck. I love we, this one. We were just talking about, I, mean, I was just talking about like 
the 60s and set like just like that kind of change of pace for filmmakers and now you get like argento in this time in the 80s where he just gets grosser it seems like yeah. that's like his whole thing he goes from like yeah. stylish and avant-garde type filmmaking to what if i just had a bunch of bugs in a scene like it just it gets, yeah. it gets gross but it's still i mean this is a still real a very oh no it's a well-made movie gorgeous. for sure i mean really it's argento I, <laughs> like, I will say with the, one of the italian strengths is they're really good the good ones like uh Fulci argento they're really good at taking a nightmare or a dream and putting it to celluloid like it's they put real like feeling nightmares like it's immersive. in front of your face and yeah. it's yeah mm-hmm. it's crazy it's it defies like logic and things a lot of the time but it works and it's scary because it just feels it's, that way it's the kind of thing where yeah. i know it's not good but having argento make a 3d movie makes so much sense to me <laughs> it's like why, <laughs> why 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 wouldn't he do that at this point in his career that makes a lot of sense like i get it i, I get know, why right? you would make that choice i wish there was a better it was a dracula three i mean i, I wish i wish that you know had a better end result but wow, the concept yeah. of argento being like i'm taking it to the third dimension cool in my like in my mind like that sounds great <laughs> Um, yeah, not so much uh, the uh, finished project, yeah, though, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's see. You, you went Fulci last round, Jimmy, so I'm going to go with City of the Living Dead. I like a good oh, zombie movie. <laughs> um, there, there's another one he also did. I don't know if that's going to come up. But City of the Living Dead, my first time watch um, in preparation for this. It is it's kind of gross. This is a this movie. <laughs> I love this movie. I love this movie. I told Aaron, Aaron was eating, and I was like, pause at this part. When you see these two people do this, pause. <laughs> this, um... Yeah, it gets pretty it gets pretty gross and pretty graphic real quick. There's just, like, stuff coming out of things that you don't want to see. There's just an extreme amount of gore. People being ripped apart. That said incredible music <laughs> the music's really good in this movie and the like the tone of it like it it you know it go it goes in a way where it's never not exciting to watch this like it, i mean it, it's it ramps up um and has like some it has like a big roller coaster vibe to it as far as like okay here we go with another one of these scenes and like bad things are going to happen to people and you think it's going to go one way and it's like no it goes for even more extreme results as far as like brains literally being ripped out of somebody's head and i'm thinking well, they're really strong zombies but at the same time that's that's creative i guess and it happens multiple mm-hmm. times uh but there's just there's a lot but it's also like i enjoy zombie movies i don't tend to be scared by zombie movies this one has some scenes of real tension that i was into there's a scene where mm-hmm. a person's been buried alive in a coffin and the attempt to get them out of that coffin made me keep like jumping because of the nature of how they're trying to get them out of the coffin where it's like, there's easier ways to do this, but a pickaxe. I mean, that's not, that's not going to help. Um, and it's and when you're like, a badass like Christopher George, man, exactly. Reach for. Yeah, but I yeah. just like, that's, that's stuff that like Fulci knows. Like I'm not, I, I've watched a lot of Fulci. I, I'm not the biggest on some of his efforts at the same time. He knows how to he knows how to build tension and build it around the kind of extreme violence that he's putting onto film. Like he he knows how to accomplish that well, and I can I can admire that for sure. So yes, yeah, so like the poor dude dead. that the poor dude that like freaking uh, gets his head with the drill thing. That that always yeah messes me up. Oh the, my yeah. god, the, the puking cool. scenes in all timer. The puking scenes oh, in all timer. Oh god, yeah, all of that, all of it. <laughs> you guys have basically made me never want to watch this movie. Got it. <laughs> 
it's on no a, clowns. There are no clowns, but there is a blow-up doll. It's on Prime yes. right now. You can watch it. Yeah. You can uh, watch it right now. Might give it a go on mute. It's only like 80 minutes. Yeah. Like, it's not a long movie. <laughs> yeah. It's it's worth checking out, Abe. It's, it's a fascinating, fun film. And it, it's so gruesome, but the, the gore is so over the top that I don't think you'll be too grossed out by it. Well, maybe maybe a little bit. (laughs) That puking scene is a lot. Um, Brandon, what's your next pick? Yeah, it's a lot. (laughs) Okay, so you talked about zombies. I'm going to go here with Umberto Lenzi. He's on the trashier end of things with these. Um, He also did Cannibal Ferex there, but I'm going with Nightmare City because this is just... Has anybody seen Nightmare City? No. I I, I live in Nightmare City. All right, this one... (laughs) This one has zombies that I don't know if Lindsay's seen zombies before, but these are really active, rabid zombies. They just they got they don't have the best makeup. They use guns. They like get into fights with people, <laughs> and they show up, cause hell, and leave the scene. And what that's do you mean it. I smell? <laughs> right. <laughs> and the ending of this movie will just make you go, "Oh, shut the f- god damn!" And it's fun. Like there's a a funness to how bad this thing can be. There's an impressiveness to some of the gore and to it, but he's a trash master. He's not quite, he's not a ripoff artist like Bruno Matai, although he would direct some of those ripoffs, but I don't know if he was involved in the naming convention. Um, but yeah, Nightmare City, it's, yeah, if you're going to watch a Lindsay, go for this one. It's, it's quick. <laughs> but uh, it's also you can also have fun with it. That one's on my list. I do want to see that one really bad, actually. Is that on a 4K yet? It is on. It is on a region-free Arrow Blu-ray. <laughs> oh, nice. It, it's it's supposed to be region B, but it is it is unlocked. Okay. Jason, what's the what's next for you? Mm. Uh, this movie from 1970, and the director is Luciano Ericola. And the movie's called The Forbidden Photos of a Lady Above Suspicion. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I really enjoyed this one. It, 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 uh, again, it kind of plays against Giallo a little bit, um, being a little bit, it felt a little more highbrow, a little more upper crest, a um, uh, little bit uh, more of a story about, but um, about manipulation and, and uh, you know, different things like that. And, and it, uh, I really, yeah, I, I, I enjoyed uh, the story. I wasn't, it, it, it almost told you the story up front, but then surprised you at the end. Cause I was like, well, you've told me the whole story. So it was kind of took me off guard a little bit, but it, it so it, it felt like the story was really uh, well honed. Uh, the music is by Morricone, which I was like, oh man. I mean, that's, mm. that's, 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 that's got a that's, lot of these, by the yeah, way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which again was something really surprising to me, you know, um, and uh, the lead is Dagmar Lysander, and she's just stunning in the movie. And it's so funny because I was like, oh, yeah, that was the name of the family that owned the house in We Are Still Here, which I'm a huge fan mm-hmm. of. So I was like, okay, that's where mm-hmm. that comes from. So, so yeah, she's fantastic in the movie. And, and uh, yeah, I, I, there, there's just something very highbrow about that particular movie. feels very, uh, very Hitchcocky and very accomplished, but with, still with a little bit of a, of a sexual angle to it. And uh, and plays it off like it's telling you everything up front where it really isn't. It gives you some great surprises at the end. So I really I enjoyed that one. The Forbidden. <laughs> yeah, it's a long title. <laughs> no exec would ever they'd, they'd get out of the room. We're calling it Stab. Yeah. <laughs> uh... 
for those li- for those listening that look to you know see some of these movies, I am writing all these titles down so I can put a title list in the uh, show notes for the episode because yes, it is be a little difficult to remember all of these titles in full, uh, especially when they start to run together uh, as far as colors and various things <laughs> to describe them. Um, Jimmy, what's the uh, what's the next film on your list? I feel like jumping into my. You know, I wanted to pick one that wasn't, uh, I think, generally considered a giallo, even though it's not Italian. I do want to jump into an inspiration. Brendan, what do you think I'm thinking of? What film, what 80s film 80s do you film. think I'm thinking of? 19, I'll give you, it's 1981. This is great for radio, are, like a podcast. Are you trying like to? Do, are, are you going to bring Friday the Thirteenth Part Two into this, or? I am not. <laughs> I'm going a little, little less mainstream with that. There's a movie that I remember seeing at a very young age, and I felt very terrible watching because it was loaded with sex, and it features Rachel Ward in her first feature film, at mm, least credited. It's Night School. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Directed by Kenneth Hughes. I, I mean, you can't get any closer to Jello than this film. Well, that's not, you know, it's it's a it's a trippy, f- fucked up movie about a motorcycle yep. clad. <laughs> there's there's a lot of stuff going on here. It's a great mystery. The cast: uh, Leonard Mann, Rachel uh, Ward, who's absolutely lovely in it. Uh, Drew Snyder. Uh, who am I missing? Um, there's a there's a it's a great cast great mystery i think it's actually an underrated slasher film i mean it's it it's weird because it kind of walks the line between um being a, a straight up you know mm-hmm. american slasher film but really being a giallo film i mean it really it feels like this strange combination of both i love it i love this film and i i believe it might be on uh prime it's one that I, I think is well worth watching, and it's uh, even even the costume of the killer just feel and the the the, the weapon feels like a giallo film. There's it's a cool little playground movie. scene in that too, with yes. the little turny thing. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, a great scene. And that one's on Blu-ray. That was a Warner Archive like DVD like burn <laughs> title, and it proved popular enough that they put it on Blu-ray. So that was pretty yeah. cool. Well worth checking out if you haven't seen it, and it's my only American one. I'll do. I'll I'll be good. I promise. American. <laughs> um, oh, cool. Night school. Um, You're welcome. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. <laughs> the uh, the next one I want to talk about is one of my favorite ones that I watched during all this, just because I was taken so aback by how much I appreciated it, because I know it's later in his career. Um, it is Dario Argento's opera. Um, mm-hmm. I was really into this movie a lot. This one, like right away, I was like, I like that it's, it's very literal with its title. It's set in an opera house for a lot of the film, and mm-hmm. the way it plays with that, as far as giving you something that's, you know, kind of a a symbol of like decadence and class and what have you, as far as why you're in this particular setting, and it's like it's also a movie about like you know, murder birds and like a crazy killer doing things. And, and I, I was just so like, it's, it's him. Like, I mean, you talked about phenomena, like it's him operating on all like his level as far as what he knows, how he, what he can do and what, you know, time of time period he's in at this point that he's cashing in on. It's not, you know, there's not much subtlety in a film like opera. It's a film that's going to give you some pretty crazy deaths, some pretty elaborate murder scenes. Uh, the killer, basically subjects this poor woman to witnessing the deaths of multiple people by 
bound, binding her up and taping uh, small, like a strip of needles to her eyes so she can't blink. So she has to watch the things that are happening. Why are the films I'm talking about have the most terrible things in them, by the way? Um, <laughs> <laughs> but it's 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 awful in that respect as far as like what the what the nature of these killings are. But it's also I gotta keep talking about the music. The music in this film is incredible. This one's different. This is not just that the score is great. It's that it has three different people working on it. And mm-hmm. so you get opera music. You have, like, Brian Eno contributing. And you have, like, these, like, metal segments that come into the film as well. It's awesome. You're getting, you're getting this, like, wonderful, like, opera score. And then something terrible happens. It's like, let's crank up the metal. And it's like, what's ha- This is such a... It's a headbanger now in the midst of all these mm-hmm. things going on. And that's one of the first movies to incorporate heavy metal with horror as well. Yeah. <laughs> and it works really like he does it really mm-hmm. well i can't say the same about like the use of new metal in certain films or like later on in, the, in like the early in the late 90s early 2000s but for this movie it's a trip to just, like see someone experimenting that way because it's like what else do you do at this point when you're dario argento and you've already made some of these movies and so it really clicks for me and even the story it threw me it threw me through some loops as far as yeah. like the direction it takes mm-hmm. and what it try what it like what the reveals are and even like the scope of the film it goes places i wouldn't have expected it to go by the end of it so it uh that was i was big on opera that was that was one where i was like immediately thinking oh wow it didn't just like stop with argento early on he like kept going like for a good while he had a good 80s a lot of the good filmmakers (laughs) of the 70s didn't last in the 80s argento cranked it up like he has a very carpenter-like career Mm -hmm. like both of them have yeah Okay, so Brandon, what's the what's the next film for you? All right, my ba- my Bava pick is uh, Kill Baby Kill. Uh, this one this one feels like this isn't his first foray foray into like period horror, but this feels like he's watching Hammer, he's watching uh, Amicus and and po- the Corman Poe stuff. He's like, sit down, guys, watch me do this, and he makes this genuine like feels like you're there to the touch. Got great angles. This there's a stairwell sequence is just gorgeous that he had a films and it's a ghost story about a little girl from beyond the grave, uh, trying to figure that out in this little empty kind of town with kooky characters and just going through like different cavern, like dungeon type places, trying to solve this mystery. And it just, it just works so much better than a lot of those. And, and you don't have the, this feels like a stage play. These are cool sets, great lights and colors, but they feel like productions. This feels genuine, grimy, the lived in type thing. And the music goes well. The, just the ghost stuff works well. The gore is there. I mean, it opens with a woman jumping out of a window and landing on a fence and get it stuck. Yeah. It's and that's what the credits roll over, a freeze frame of that. And it just feels like him going, All right, I conquered this later, guys. Like that's what it really feels like. And it's yeah, it's just a really great movie. I think Scorsese's like a huge fan of this movie as well. But um these some people these films are big on not necessarily inanimate objects, but like scenarios where things that could actually happen to you happen in the most extreme ways possible where it's like right. it's not just yeah. like oh i slipped out the door it's i fell out a window and landed on a fence it's like the worst thing or like i didn't just you know fall in front of a train i fell in front of the part of the train where it's right next to the wall and so you're getting crushed against the wall and it's slaughtered like it's all this like it's like the most extreme examples of these things yeah 
but definitely yeah. yeah kill baby kill that's high on the baba list for me i like a, i like a, good one. a lot of his stuff but baba's baba's pretty great i was watching a lot of baba <laughs> yeah. and uh there's a, there's a lot, especially because he he jumps back and forth right you get like that's a gothic horror film you get yeah. you get the giallo you get just straight up horror films like you get you, and i mean if you, you mentioned uh diabolic you, you get, or that um, diabolic yeah, uh, with like with something that's just like a straight up action adventure he's uh, got maybe. a great thriller called rabid dogs which i it got remade a couple years ago not a good remake but um mm-hmm. it, it's really cool and it'll get you in the end like it, it's got a it's just start to finish really th- suspenseful and feels like it inspired a lot of things that would come later but that's a really good one to check out which was kind of not seen uh not praised very highly upon release but i really like that one it's his last movie it's his like he worked on a movie called shock with his son but um it was one of his last ones i think but rabbit dogs had it was one of those that had two different like cuts of the film problems too i think there's another title for it but rabbit dogs is the cut you would want to watch well, Jason, let's uh, let's head back to you. What's what's next sure. here? Um, we'll go back to Argento for 1975 for a movie called Deep Red. There we go. Um, <laughs> reminded me a lot of, of a, a pre a lot of Body Double, um, which is which I'm a, kind of a fan of. So you know that idea of, of of voyeurism and seeing a kill and trying to you know um, uh, figure out a mystery. Um, and yeah, I, I was interesting was. I actually figured out the mystery early on this one. I don't oh. know if everybody does, but 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 I like that because I, I'm usually the guy who's way behind the eight ball on these things. So that one I kind of figured out, <laughs> but it just ruined it. I didn't go, oh, that ruins the whole movie. So uh, first of first off, when you watch that movie, it's got the fastest credits I've ever seen. Of <laughs> it does actually, yeah, you're like, right. Like goes, it, here's the thing: it goes super fast right up until it says directed by Jario Argento, and then it stays there. And I was like, wow, okay, that's interesting. And of course, it's got the great Goblin synthesizer music, which just yeah. makes the movie so good. Um, there was actually a scene where somebody has like a knitting needle with yarn and stuff. And I was like, we're getting some, I'm getting some Halloween vibes off of that. You know, that was kind of interesting. But a lot of uh, some some good gore in there. You know, uh, there's a body drag, a head squish, a beheading that happens, you know, late in the game. Uh, but mostly I, I, I just I, I really enjoyed the mystery of the movie and kind of following the lead character as he's trying to kind of figure out what's going on and stuff. So I felt like this the writing on this one was really good. Good style by Argento. Amazing music. Goblin, uh, Goblin joins yeah. in on this one. Yeah. I, think the, I think it's his first mm-hmm. time. Yeah. This yeah. is the first. He used Morricone for his first couple and then he, Goblin. Right. And he had done a, a failed movie before this and he went back to Jallo with mm-hmm. Deep Red and it was like just i see like cherry on top yeah so mm. yeah i'd say for anybody who's a fan of like kind of mysteries and figuring things out and stuff deep red 1975 if you like david hemming solving a mystery and blow up you'll love him yeah <laughs> there you go yeah <laughs> this um does deep red t- does that do, i know that's that's fair, that ranks fairly high for Argentine it's argued people, to right? be his best by yeah. a certain company yeah. it's like what well, like that and sus- certainly his best like giallo film i guess like it's yeah. i guess we, it's between between that and like with crystal plumage i'd imagine or, like, yeah the ones Bur- that tend to rank bird on. bird deep red and suspiria are you'll see them rearranged as the top films yeah. of his because the spirit absolutely that's, that's horror so I, yeah but yeah I, I know deep red like has a, a large standing i uh, i watched it too um the other day and yeah it's it's a trip like it's got some moves in there <laughs> that, like throw you uh just in like the the imagery and i mean there's a damn like doll thing that's a mechanical it's i don't need right 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 i forgot about the, yeah. film, there's some spooky <laughs> stuff pre-saw pre-saw yeah yeah exactly <laughs> right 
There's some, there's some creepy stuff in this one for a giallo. Sure. Like it's it's scarier than the average giallo film, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, so Abe, watch that one immediately. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah, go Abe. <laughs> Jimmy, what's what's the next pick you got? Well, you know it's funny, uh, Brandon. You're jumping into Bava. I'm jumping into Bava. Uh, wait, sorry, sorry. Am I doing Bava yet? Wait, that's one. Yeah, I'm doing Bava. Uh, I, I I have them arranged. Like I was like I'm trying to think what I I have two more. Um, I'm gonna go with the one we've mentioned a few times. Friday the Thirteenth Part Two. No, just kidding. Uh, Carnage, <laughs> Twitch of the Death Nerd, Bloodbath, of course, Bay of Blood. I yeah. love this goddamn movie. Uh, the opening sequence with this old woman in a wheelchair and the, the, her murder and then it leads to more murders and there's murders everywhere everyone's murdering everyone somebody this kills movie, the killer i know <laughs> it, it's the most bizarre like and, and like we were talking about this for friday the 13th there are so many there's literally a move a kill that uh, probably a couple but there's, there's one a lot typically there's yeah. a lot but that Oh, yeah. you know, it's just a, but and this was 1971 well yeah, before, before yeah. slasher yeah well before this is a movie that's so convoluted but i mean it, it's kind of like i you know I, I was thinking about this the other day i'm kind of thinking it's almost like knives out for you know with a bunch of gore mm. you know it's, it, i can see it's, that it, yeah. yeah as far it, as the nature very... of who's involved who like the suspects are or whatnot because like the the exactly. motivation, the motivations aren't, you know, something stupid like or simple, like, uh, you know, like, oh, you killed my uncle and now I'm getting you all as revenge. It's like yes. an insurance game, essentially. Like, it's just like <laughs> yeah. it's something so much more and mundane that, than that. And the ending is. <laughs> yeah. Even in the like midst of knowing wow. all that kneecapping ending. Oh, yeah. Kneecapping <laughs> ending. Really brilliant movie. I love this film. And I, I this is one I actually wouldn't mind watching again this month. This because uh, this, this one felt like a. Oh, you want to see me go big like that? It felt like a challenge. <laughs> it's like, yeah, right, I, I've done, I've dabbled in this, but you, you want to see me go for it? All right, here's a bunch of bodies. Here, like, let, me, let me really delve into the, you know, mysterious killer slashing people up type of phase. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, uh, you, uh, Jason, you mentioned like the idea of like uh, Fulci and Argento having beef. I'm curious when mm-hmm. Baba was where his standing was amidst like the other people during this time period when these. I mean, this, this is '71 too, right? So it's still pretty, yeah. Yeah. still pretty yeah. early on in the kind of the crate because uh crystal plumage that's the one that like hits big um for box office but even then you know they're all they're all making these films around the same time it makes me wonder like what they're all doing as far as are we trying to top each other or is it a you know are, are we just trying to impress each other with our ideas at this point and how far we can take things given the time that we're in um but it's certainly there's a lot going on that's for sure <laughs> there's a lot it's a lot of fun i highly recommend that one all right um I think we're staying in the Baba zone here because I'm going to talk about Black Sabbath, um, the famous band that he was a part the band? of. Band? Yeah. yeah. Um, but no, the <laughs> this is suddenly uh... Abe lines up. He's like, oh, I know that guy. Yeah, I was like, Iron Man. Uh, this is a uh, it's a it's earlier than Bay of Blood. It's '63. It's an anthology film, which I did not go know going in. Um, but it, it tells three different tales, and uh, it stars Boris Karloff. Come closer, please. I've something to tell you. Ladies and gentlemen, how do you do? This is Black Sabbath. Which was like, this is fun. He's like narrating. It was like horror fantasia. He he comes in at the beginning, he gives you some context, and then you get into a horror story. And um, 
Uh, this is one that's very, I mean, much like we've been talking about with Baba. It's very much about, like, the, the style, the look of things. He's working with color. It's very vibrant. Even well, to, and it's 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 like it's a horror anthology. It's less of giallo at this point. It's more just straight up horror. Um, mm-hmm. The uh, the different stories, um, they're all they're, they're all good. Like I like all of them. Uh, Karloff is actually in the last one. Uh, he's he's mainly like a narrator, but he's actually in the last one. But the the one that I that really stood out to me is the first story, the drop of water, because uh, it it's actually scary. <laughs> like it actually like has some imagery in there that like it's hard to not think about just because of the nature of things. Where you have this woman who she, she's basically robbing the dead, but the dead are still present, <laughs> to put it mildly, and it's. It's neat the way it plays with that. It plays with this kind of, I mentioned this early on, this kind of surreal, surreal nature of what the person, what someone's actually experiencing versus what's going on, and regardless of what's act, what's actually reality, the way it's presenting the kind of spooky nature of a possible ghost or someone that's undead, it re- it like hits you. Especially I was you know watching it late at night in the dark as I do, and um, it mm. just it was working. Like with the makeup and everything, there's just like little like bits and the way it's filmed where it's like this is very evocative. This is really like getting me right now as far as what it's trying to accomplish as a as a horror story. The other ones are fun too. Like there's some good stuff in there. There's one involving I thought it was uh, the telephone the is telephone. the next one. Yeah, where it... well it's funny. There's different cuts of the film where those are in different orders too. Huh. There's an order where the telephone one's first, Karloff one's second, and then the drip is the last one. Mm-hmm. I feel like the I mean, I, I the first one seems the most effective to me, but at the same time, it, mm-hmm. I I get why it'd be first. I feel like the given that I have the what the Kino Blu-ray or whatever, mm-hmm. like it, that that's probably the mm-hmm. way it was originally, and like I get that, and the like the the Karloff one's like the longest one. Um, and they typically, you know, save those for like the end. But regardless, I, I, I like Black Sabbath a lot. I think I had a lot going for it as far as telling these different tales and whatnot. But that first one, especially, it was just creepy. Mm-hmm. Brandon, what's, uh, what's next? Uh, I'm going Argento here and his film Inferno from All 1980. Right. It's, it's, it's his follow-up. It's a sequel to Suspiria. Um, mm-hmm. the There's a third one too, right? Mother of Tears, which wasn't made till way later. And yeah. Much later, and not it, that great. I feel, yeah, unfortunately, I feel Inferno is just like looked over. It's not as good as Suspiria, but it's really, it's really good. good. And Mario Bava was on this, like he was there as a second unit director. And um, Fulci, actually, or Fulci, uh, Argento, he got ill on this and was like directing from a bed, like on set on a bed because he had to lay down. And there's a lot of stuff Baba stepped in and helped direct with them, but it's got the lighting, it's got the spooks. There's one of the most beautiful scenes I've ever seen in a movie uh, where a woman is investigating where this key might be because she finds a book about the three mothers where they established that there was one witch uh, in the building, uh, the dance place was one of them in Suspiria, there's one in New York, and there's one in Rome. And she's in New York, and she goes underground into this this flooded ballroom and swims around looking for keys and stuff and it's just marvelous look like it's just fantastic it's surreal odd and then like there's dead bodies that end up floating around in there too and it's amazing like recommend for that scene alone but it's got an interesting little mystery it's got an american lead in it he's he's in there 
Uh, it's got uh, Lee. Uh, what's his name? Uh, McCloskey. 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 Yeah, yeah. And it's got Anya. He's good in it too. Yeah, it's got Anya Peroni who will be in Tenebrae with him for Argento, and she's in House by the Cemetery for Fulci. Uh, it, it's just weird. It's got that weird vibe. A lot of like, if you like Suspiria, you should have no trouble liking this one. And there's a lot of fun play with it. Lights, de- cool deaths. There's a sequence where um, a character comes back to her apartment with a neighbor because she feels scared and puts on a record to play while he's out of the room and the lights go off and this and back on while the the music also cuts off and back on and it's very disorienting and just really effectively done it, Argento hates this movie but I think it's brilliant and I really it's a high recommend and they were doing these 4k restorations of his movies all this studio like blue underground and arrow at the same time I'm like of him and Fulci, the ones they'd already released. And I was like, oh, Inferno's got to be next. Inferno's got to be next. Infer- and still no Inferno uh, as we are right now. But it's it's terrific. And the funny thing is, the the mother in this one, the the witch in this one is the mother uh, Tenebrom. So when his next film was Tenebrae, people were like, oh, it's the third one of these. And it's not. <laughs> it's a it's a his return to Giallo after two little supernatural tales. But um it's kind of that's kind of interesting that it went there, but the other one's Suspirium, and gosh, I can't remember the third one, but that's that's a Inferno is just if you want to see the high quality stuff and Baba Argento collaborating, and also Lamberto Baba does some assistant directing work on this one as well. All right, all right, now we're at the we're at the last one for each of us here, guys. Um, mm-hmm. Jason, what's the what's the last one on your well, list? Well, most of mine were pretty highbrow, so I want to get something deep and dirty and just and and unclean as my last choice. And so I'm going to go with the Sergio Martino 1973 torso. There you go. Um, mm. I, you know, it was interesting because the reason I had even heard about this movie was because uh, Eli Roth had said, oh, this is the movie that inspired me to do Hostel and stuff. So I thought, oh, I want to see the movie that inspired Hostel. So, I mean, th- th- this is I mean, it's 1973, but I mean, this thing is I mean, the kills are are bloody. Uh, there's dismemberment. There's there's mutilation. I mean, it's it's right there in your face. You know, the hacksaws, the whole bit. It, it, this this thing is rife with all the things that that. I think they would consider, you know, horror staples. Um, but on top of that, it, it definitely does have suspense. Um, there, there's, there's, you know, it kind of eventually sort of takes place in, in, a, in a kind of a high rise uh, house, but, the, but they get the most use out of it, um, suspense wise, mm-hmm. um, keeping you on your toes, you know, uh, did I, do I remember this? Do I remember that? That kind of thing. So in the midst of being very gratuitous, very everything that you expect from a gratuitous horror film, it still manages to have, you know, a modicum of suspense, which I thought was really good. So, uh, you know, for all out exploitation, you know, especially in 1973, which I'm shocked that he would that, that it went that, that far with, with the movie that that early on torso. That's my that's my that's my uncouth pick. <laughs> it's it's fun to watch Susie Kendall get attacked. Yeah. That's... All right, Jimmy, what's, the, what's well, the last one for you? You know, Brandon, you already led led to it. Tenebra. Uh, I love this movie. I I. This is again. It was as you said right after mm-hmm. uh, uh, the other one. Inferno. Um, I'm blanking. Inferno. For some reason, I'm blanking. Uh, and I love that movie too. I like this because it's about. It kind of addresses the idea of violent art. 
and how it affects people. And that's discussed and the lead character's a writer and all this. I feel like there's a, a music video that was inspired that used this movie. The, 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 when the, uh, the lesbian couple are murdered. I feel like there's mm-hmm. a, a music video about that, but there's a, I, there's a whole discussion we could have about like music videos influenced by Italian horror <laughs> right. like, and oh Italian films in general. I think, yeah. I think it's, be, I think it's because of just how evocative the visual imagery is and because you're in a music video, you're already have mm-hmm. you know the audio so you're just trying to put something behind it and there's so much like good stuff to mine from that i mean look at a weird exhibit like look at beastie boys with body movement they're using all yeah. of all of uh, yeah. danger diabolic footage for that movie anyway i'm sorry Jimmy. yeah no it's go it's okay and this i mean for people who want to try a dario Argento movie i think this is a pretty good place to start and also it has john saxon so mm-hmm. you know you have you have a little bit of a uh, american legend in there i mean it's a it's a really a little sleazy a, a video nasty as they like to call them uh but I, I love this film i think it's really a kind of a beautiful dark and morbid uh exam of people who write about really violent shit and the score like bumps it. too that's yeah. <laughs> oh my god yeah. it's goblin but not goblin it's only three members of goblin so they can't call it goblin Yo. and it's also yeah. got the most beautiful gore i've ever seen when the woman oh, the woman gorgeous. gets her arm chopped off and turns to a white yes. wall and it splatters. Oh, yeah. it's beautiful oh, yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's it's gorgeous it's I, and it's weird but it's like wow that is it's beautiful. I don't know how. It's a gorgeous film. That I was I was going to mention the hacksaw, the hack through the the axe through the window and something. Ah, that's a gorgeous scene. Gorgeous. All right. <laughs> a lot, a lot gorgeous of on this show tonight. <laughs> yeah. Um, I may as well uh, bring it up because we've already mentioned it many times. But Suspiria is uh, the last one I'll uh, throw in here. Obviously, it's you know has a very big following it was a huge hit like it's like it's a cult film by as far as not everyone knows Suspiria the same way they know halloween but it was a hit like it when it came it came to america and like it had this it has this amazing trailer that has yeah. nothing to do with the movie it's on the like it's on the blu-ray releases but the, the, the but um it it just it the movie worked the movie clicked for audiences apparently they're just like all right <laughs> we're, we're importing this thing fox is releasing it let's go see it and apparently everyone was just like this rules um and they're right <laughs> i mean we as we're talking about it i mean the it is a kind of a it's a witch movie it's a supernatural film yeah it it has a very specific kind of i guess tone it's going for that's you know away from giallo and just more straight into like what's creepy and the bravura like first like 10 15 minutes of this movie is ex- is just like nothing else it's exceptional uh just the way it just it starts you off and just throws you into this thing and you're just you're giving little context beyond someone's arriving at a place and something terrible's happening uh and it just there's all there's all there's the music of course by goblin uh mm-hmm. but there's this like there's these perspective shots there's a storm there's a there's a huge storm <laughs> there's this tension building and things do not work out well for the first person that's involved and it gets it sets you up for what the rest of this movie is going to be like and while there is a kind of through line and there's a character you can like you know follow along with and what have you it, it, 
the whole mood of the film is just constantly like working you over and it leads mm-hmm. to a number of you know fantastic sequences uh that sometimes involve murder and some don't there's one extended chase scene that really creeped me out the first time i saw it, which i get was in college where it's like there's so much happening to like get this person to a certain place and it even involves like barbed wire at one or like what like like a yeah. tight like coiling metal mm-hmm. basically at one point and it's like I don't know how you film that and not feel terrible, but like they did an amazing job of making it convincing. That's for sure. Uh, And that's just among the many things here. And it all just works really well. And like the most surprising thing about the legacy of Suspiria is that Guadagnino was able to come in and be like, I want to do that too. And somehow pulls it off and makes another Suspiria. (laughs) It's like really effective. Also, I know, Mm -hmm. I know some of us do not agree with this, um, but but I was really in to to what the, what the remake of Suspiria did, but which which doesn't take away from what the original one does. The original Suspiria is is fantastic. Together so well. They're brilliant together. It's Dawn of the Dead and Dawn of the Dead. Like it's basically, yeah, except I like, I prefer the Suspirias. I actually prefer those two films as opposed to the newer Dawn of the Dead. I'm, I'm, I like a lot, but it's not my favorite. So, but yeah, Suspiria just, I mean, gorgeous. Seventy-seven guys. You, you got Star Wars and Suspiria. You had a lot of good things going. On. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great double bill right there. <laughs> oh, I know, right? Uh, okay, Brandon, what's the last film for you? All right, my last one. I'm going with Lucio Fulci. And the Beyond. This is one of oh. my. I I love this movie, and I at first I didn't like it. Like I had seen it as the Seven Doors of Death on VHS, chopped up, not making much, uh, like sense or whatever. And I've grown to just love this. I watched this movie on Halloween night, like the last like five six years, every night. This is just, uh, it's is. I let most people say Zombies is masterpiece. I like this one, and there's a concept here that he talks about that I, I really like that why when we do supernatural things they always have to follow by human logic like mm-hmm. why do they have to why do they play by our rules why do other dimensions have earth rules why do you know like why that and he play he wants to play around with it in this and like things happen like these people go from a hospital they go through a door and they're in the basement of their house and they're like what the hell um this is some chilling imagery the end of this movie is just one of the most haunting things in your brain uh, there's the crazy woman with the weird eyes that you see a lot. Oh, yeah. And it's just part of his um, trilogy, the Gates of Hell trilogy, where um, it starts with uh, City of the Living Dead and then goes to the House by the Cemetery where a portal to hell has been opened somewhere. And it's a tale of that. That's what links them all together. But this was he had to force zombies in it to get the movie made. He didn't want to have zombies in it. But at the end, he fits them in nicely. Uh, and there's a lot of like some crazy gore and special effects. Like this little girl's head gets blown off. That's like, what the, whoa. Uh, yeah. she's, she's, she's of the undead at the time. There's stuff that's weird and de- like unnerving. It doesn't make sense. It, it like doesn't make sense to people, but to me, because it doesn't make sense, it kind of haunts me. Like I, I think of it, yeah. I think of it in a sense of in the story and what the characters feel rather than movie logic sense. Uh, but it's really creepy. It was shot in Louisiana. It's got Catriona McColl, who appears in all three of these Gates of Hell movies. Um, originally, like she was, if she, uh, he offered like City of the Living Dead to uh, Mia Farrow's sister because he worked with her on Zombie, but she had retired from acting. So Catriona McColl becomes this person, and she's terrific in all three of the movies. And Fulci, he's a guy that 
I mean, he goes for the jugular. He likes gouging eyes. He likes to explore his gore. Um, yeah, him and Argento had a back and forth, but I think we but we all win because of it. And the funny thing with him, and I think he's had a resurgence once you could see his films in full and see them restored, but he was a guy doing like the Italian version of like Laurel and Hardy movies forever. And then he becomes an old man and does these grow these graphic <laughs> nightmare horror movies just for the fun of it. Like, and I think the beyond is like the staple of everything that he could be and is afterwards. He, you know, he's exploring. He's not rather than harness it. He goes forth, you know, Argento would sit and plan Fulcher Just let, let's just do it. And he, he makes things that are ahead of their time, like a cat in the brain, which is, his Wes Craven's new nightmare. It's a story about him himself and weird things with his movies connecting him and, and odd stuff happening around. And he's, you know, he never lived to see like himself do commentaries or fandom of his movies. He just lived seeing that he was called garbage and, <laughs> uh, you know, and, but he was the I real Van Gogh of Italian horror. Right. There you go. But, you know, it's it starts with the zombie. He had some uh, giallo like don't torture a duckling is a good one is the psychic is terrific. If you can check that one out, that's one of my favorites of his giallo ones. But uh, the beyond it's just I don't know. It's just a haunting nightmare of a movie. I've got a mm. I got to be on shirt. I've got to be on enamel pin like I'm all in. <laughs> On that that's, movie. That's how you know he's serious. He has an enamel <laughs> pin. I like it. I like the Beyond. I, I really do. I, no, Brad, and I, I, and I grew up, I started by hating it. it. I started by hating it. And it's come around that I just, I'm fascinating with. I think it is goofy in areas. Like, they're, sure, there's some there's some unintentional gags and laughs. But, like, I think overall it works quite well. I definitely like it a lot. That's it's such a, a fun flick. Oh, my gosh. Funny. Like, I... I <laughs> I like zombie well enough. I mean, it has zombie versus shark. How am I not going to like zombie? Right, but, yeah. I mean, the, right. It, the like I'm not huge on it in the same way a lot of people are, but I it feels like that's a film that like, and that's coming from I you know Fulci's made a lot of movies. I haven't seen all of his movies, but it feels like that's one that really opened him up to doing more of this because that's yeah. the sense that's the sense that I get following zombie where he's like, well, I did that. Like I put someone's eye through a stake and up close and personal. What else can I do? And so you get what you're saying. You get the beyond, you get city of the living dead, you get house by the cemetery, you get New York Ripper among other films. Word rock, a... the aerobics jello. Ooh. Yeah. That was awesome. And so, you know, while, 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 uh, and that's all like eighties at that point. So while like Argento's, you know, keeping it classy as well as keeping it gory, Fulch is just like, I'm just going to roll around in the muck and see what I come out with. (laughs) And people, and people are like, I mean, I guess we're watching these, and then later on, it's like, yeah, we were watching these, all right. We're watching them and loving them. So, I mean, he he uh, he, he found he found a, a place to go with uh, what he wanted to do, I guess. I think there's a difference between, and I'm not, tr- I don't want to bash any like modern filmmakers and stuff, but when you go back to the old ones that were low class or whatever, they still had like an eye. They still had a way of using lighting and camera that feels more informed and elevated than just taking a digital camera out to shoot the movie as we can get today a lot of times and that people are making good stuff with it but there's a lot of a lot more training and stuff that comes with using the film equipment than i think the digital in modern times that's why there's no like pure return to form I've seen than something like Sam Raimi doing Drag Me to Hell, where it's like the among the directors that were like still around and came up by doing one thing, in this case the Evil Dead trilogy, and then like did a bunch of other stuff, including the most expensive films of all time at one point, and it was like I want to go back to basics, and it's not just I'm gonna make some, you know, I'm not gonna. 
uh, do like Joss Whedon to shoot a film in my house in black and white. I'm going to make right. another horror movie that's going to be exactly like the other ones using literally some of the same technology, like guy on wires in a door frame, like and just like go to town and have a right. ton of fun with it. And it, it like drag me to hell is a blast. And it, it's because it has that exact same energy that he brought when he first burst onto the scene. And oh, I do sure. wish I could see other directors that could do something like that as well, as far as ones that, you know, came up, a certain way like you know if john carpenter decided to be like i'm not grumpy today and decided to make a movie like i'd, be, I'd love to see him like come out and do something just exactly like halloween again or assault on precinct 13 where he's like yeah give me a, give me give me two million dollars you know i don't need a cast let me just like shoot it on the street somewhere and like find something that has that exact kind of naturalistic energy that i want to bring to a movie like that'd be just fun to see again but yeah we have so many other directions to go because of all the stuff that comes with filmmaking these days especially when it comes to right. studio filmmaking but uh the beyond it's, uh, yeah. <laughs> it's got a lot of stuff in it um all right we've talked okay we've we've done this we've we've gone through all of our films at this point abe you've listened to us chatter about mm-hmm. 20 movies <laughs> that are all uh-huh. of varying kinds of content are you did you make a top five list of movies you gotta see now based on all this well like any good parent I love them all equally. So uh. I have written them all down after Aaron will post them. And I'll watch the one where you guys were like, it's not that bad, even though there's like, you know, uh, a, a giant barf scene. And I was like, this reminds me of uh, Team America, World Police. I, I, <laughs> I know we got a lot to cover this week on the regular podcast because there's like a shit ton of movies coming out. But I want you to try to watch at least one of these and come back to us when we talk our, our commentary track next week. Well, the, week one, the one that did pique my interest here was I, I think Jimmy, you said like uh, the one that was like fairly accessible might have been like our, our one of our Gentos like first or early. Oh, Tenebrae. Yeah. Oh, so, the like, Crystal Plumage. Crystal Plumage. I think that's a really that's yeah. yeah. And it'll it'll get you invigorated because that was the first one. I yeah. It'll get you invigorated to watch more Gallo for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, good. I I do hope to hear back from you on this because it'll be you know. We talked about a lot of stuff, and I'd like to see what you think about some of these things. Mm. Um, with all of that in mind, thank you guys for uh, mm-hmm. going over all this this stuff with us. This is, this is a lot of fun. There's certainly a lot of options out there, and I hope any listeners that have been curious what the giallo genre has to offer um, certainly you know, goes for it now because, uh, like like you guys have mentioned – uh, these there's a there's a huge library of these on uh, on available to watch instantly on Prime and on Canopy. Mm-hmm. Uh, for whatever reason, they're just like let's give them all the yellow they want. So you can you can hop on right now. Right after after this podcast, of course, you got to finish this. We got some really important final minutes here. But after that, then you can go and watch these movies and be like, yeah, they're right. And then keep listening to our show, obviously, mm-hmm. because of how right we were. Uh, so exactly. with all that in mind, though, we we do have to wrap this episode up, uh, our penultimate horror episode for the month. Um, so with all that said. Let's go over where people can find more of your guys' work online. Let's start with Jimmy O. Uh, yeah, you can find me joeblow.com, arrowinthehead.com. We live entertainment. Sounds scary. This Friday, you can check out Kevin Smith, uh, hour-long nice. information. Uh, it's a great, it's a great uh, interview, and we do talk. He talks about what uh, the end of Moose Jaws would have been. So it's a lot of fun. Um, and yeah, all the Twitter and all that bullshit. So. There you go. <laughs> <Thanks>. <laughs> Jason Coleman, where can people find more of you? Yeah, uh, obviously the same as you guys, whysoblue.com. I had just finished my uh, my uh, co- coverage for Screen Fest, so quite Great a coverage. lot of films. Thanks. Dude, for- wow, yeah. 
Yeah, <laughs> I went through all the shorts and everything, and and the sh I think the top wow. short was The Last Man on Earth by uh, by April uh, Phillips, I think her name is. And man, that was such a great short. What a great filmmaker! I love it when I get to see new filmmakers do their stuff, and then I get to get in on the ground floor and kind of support them, you know, either by you know promoting their work or getting in on a GoFundMe and stuff. There's quite a few filmmakers that I've kind of come across that way. Um, so some really great stuff at Screenfest. You can check out all that coverage at Why So Blue, and plus. Um, I can't announce the person, but I'm going to be doing a career interview as well coming up. So you'll be able to see that there as well. Um, I did a career interview earlier this year with Adam Goyen. It's a video career interview, which you can watch on the uh, you can see it on Why So Blue or on YouTube. And of course, Flicks for Fans that I do with Jimmy O, where we did oh, yeah. our uh, last thing we did was our Friday the 13th, 40th anniversary immersive screening and experience. And of course, we did uh, do a video of that. So you can check it out on the YouTube Flicks for Fans page and you can see what we did. So enjoy very cool awesome. brandon peters where can people find more of you well i'll start with uh, the the film i couldn't think of the parody film uh called the editor from 2014 it's available on hoopla and oh, tubi yes yes for, yes, yes, yes okay. yeah 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 so, okay so uh you can find me on uh, the brandon peters show and i have an episode dedicated to the bird with the crystal plumage with uh, guest molly henry from blogging banshee and i actually shot a uh tribute uh promo for that one that i'm pretty Fun proud promo. of that you should check out that kind of uh takes a riff on the op the opening of that film i also have a hubie halloween episode and um uh, this is going on just as scary <laughs> and then next week i have uh justin beam from reverend entertainment uh to talk about the fog with john carpenter and if you like blu-rays and DVD collecting, you're going to love our extended interview uh, with him talking about, you know, people talk about the stuff, but they don't talk about the people who make this stuff. And he's got a lot of, you kind of get a good handle on the things he deals with and some of the stuff he'd like to do versus what he can. And uh, it's just really fun. And the story behind how he came up with the name Reverend Entertainment, first person to have it on a recording of him telling it and it's a funny story but uh best brandon peter show um twitter instagram brandon 4k uhd got a youtube channel for that show as well and written stuff on whysoblue.com very cool you can find me everything i do at the codezeke.com my personal blog everything i do ends up over there i also write movie reviews over legalentertainment.com it includes a lot of afi fest reviews lately i'm on why so blue writing about blu-rays and criterion releases every now and again and i'm on variety occasionally talking to filmmakers for interviews there and i'm on twitter at aaron's ps4 abe uh you can find more fun stuff on my instagram abe.mua and twitter.com slash walrus moose hashtag gorlami <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> you can find all the other episodes of the podcast over at itunes audioboom spotify and stitcher soundcloud podomatic hs2bilob feel free to email us at notpockets at gmail.com let us know your favorite giallo films <laughs> yeah or uh, tell us how to pronounce it the way that uh, jason does uh, over at facebook.com slash i know podcast or twitter.com slash i know underscore podcast and of course yeah. follow us on instagram instagram.com slash underscore podcast as well uh thank you very much brandon jason and jimmy for joining us for this episode here thank, thank you, you brandon jason us. jimmy cheers guys and uh, yeah girl. that's that yeah, very much. Very excited to do this episode, and uh, that's going to do it for this one. And next week's episode, we're going to be doing our Psycho commentary track, which would certainly be a lot of fun as well. I'm very much looking forward to it because it's really fun to do perfect movies for commentary tracks. Uh, but until then, until next time, so long. And bye.
From death is a dark figure with an iron finger stained in red. It's Jason Coleman. You're Jason, muted. You're, mute. you're muted. <laughs> you're muted. You're muted. I'm going. <laughs> Wait, why am I not? Why am I doing that? Uh, you, you, know, you flipped your screen. Wait. Oh, I flipped my screen. Shit. There we go. That's stupid. <laughs> All right, I'm good. Okay, you good? Either I'm comb, good. Comb your hair or anything? You good? No, my hair is perfect today. I know, I noticed. Oh, yeah. Abe, you enjoy whatever that is. I assume a big bowl of strawberry ice cream. What yeah, it is. What are you eating, it's, Abe? It's uh, Italian uh, blood diamonds. Ooh. I don't know what, what? that means. What? <laughs> I don't know what that means. It's the first thing that came to mind. Okay. No, it's just some, uh, just some sushi. Let's mm. do this. Sushi. Oh, Jesus. All right. <clears throat> All right, let's go. Andiamo! All right. This will, it would draw me into a tangent. It will keep us going, so I'll stop. All right. <clears throat> mm-hmm. 